Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We're hopping back on the Orc train. Oscar Race Checkpoint coming at you with a couple different segments, including some big guild nominations. Uh, we're also going to dive back into something that we already reviewed once for a re-review. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike, to tell you more about that new segment. Yeah, we got WGA noms. We got MMO go-to makeup and hairstyling segment to get into, mm-hmm. Mike. And we got a revisit <laughs> For Sound of Metal, something that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, we're going to revisit films that we did review back during the fall film festivals, especially Nomadland, Minari are going to be in uh, that lineup as well. But Mike, I think, uh, I, I, I should say, I don't think it's becoming a coincidence that we're both talking so much about makeup and, and hairstyling. I can't even say it right, but look, I mean, we're growing our hair out. I, I look like some cross between Tim Burton and Abby Hoffman, which is, uh, I'll, I'll clarify more for us later as we get into it. But you, like you, I've seen pictures of you lately. I mean, you're just Mufasa. I mean, you're king of Pride Rock. Never cut it, man. I love it. I get so I've gotten more compliments about my hair. This is honest. I'm not like, I don't think it's anything. I've gotten more compliments about my hair than I've gotten about anything else I've ever done in my life combined <laughs> up to this point. Easily. People love it. Except easily. for my, except for my father who right. just calls me a hippie every no, chance. Easily. Gets, so. my, my, the favorite thing about you, my favorite <laughs> thing about you is your hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I'm happy I have that to provide you with. Uh, maybe I'll post a, uh, a something so people can marvel along with it uh, with everyone else when we post this episode up. But unfortunately, the quaff is uh, only part of the story today. We will be talking about hairstyling along with makeup as that guild did have its awards. But let's talk about uh, the Writers Guild of America Awards. Those nominations did come out a couple days ago and we can start talking about the original screenplay category at the WGAs before we dive in with some analysis. So here are the noms as the WGA sees fit for original screenplay. We have Judas and the Black Messiah. That was going to Will Burson and Shaka King. Palm Springs gets in there. And Sierra and Max Barbacow. Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell, of course. Sound of Metal with Darius and Abraham Martyr. And The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is Aaron Sorkin's film. Those are your five original screenplay noms, Michael. So this is kind of an incredible five because, yes, we have Sorkin, but then we have four feature film directorial debuts. I did not look up if they were screenwriting debuts necessarily, but they're they're directorial debuts. They're auteurs at work Mm -hmm. here. And this is an Academy category mike when this wga does translate over to the oscar that usually involves a break-in oscar nomination or two from filmmakers Mm -hmm. that just haven't been nominated uh elsewhere beforehand there that's really cool it's a really good point and it's a product of a couple things and we're going to get into it not Every movie was eligible that you would think that you've heard in this category before. That's going to do some things for some nominees, and maybe it means a little more, maybe it doesn't. Uh, As far as just blanket analysis, the thing that jumped out to me in this category was Palm Springs. I mean, we were talking all year about, you know, with the 
film slate being what it is, mm-hmm. maybe there'd be some comedy that kind of rises above the pack and has its moment that it wouldn't otherwise have. We were spot on with that, except that neither of us thought it would be Palm Springs at the outset. We kind of thought it would be more King of Staten Island, but here's Palm Springs, and we're going to talk about Borat too, both having moments. I do think like we're honing in on some energy. Like I, you, you talked about everybody calling you a hippie. I'm feeling hippie-ish. <laughs> I'm feeling like I want to talk about vibes and energies because mm-hmm. really with the stats that we got you, you know, for you guys today, I mean, it's going to put you into a mental pretzel. Like it's not going <laughs> to help you at all. Like these are, these are compelling stats in both directions and you're going to be mad at us uh, in, in, in the very near future. But yeah. Very, very excited for that. Yes. I'm excited about Palm Springs though, because I mean, that's a movie where I have, gotten back on the bandwagon like at first i was looking at the bandwagon i was throwing vegetables rotten vegetables at the bandwagon now i'm the the shirtless guy with the pots and pans band shoulder pads and i'm playing those on the bandwagon i'm 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 crazed for that movie i love it uh upon rewatch it's a funny ass film and you're right i mean i think the king of staten island something that uh we wanted to see have any moment, never mind a lot yes. of moments of this award season. But yeah, I mean, we're we're excited about Palm Springs. We're excited about some recent reviews that we've uh, that we've done. Mike Judas and the Black Messiah, promising young woman. We're holding foam figures in the air for Absolutely. both of those. Absolutely, I I hope. This means a lot for Judas and the Black Messiah, and I think Judas and the Black Messiah needed something. It's best picture chances, and it's the idea that it could be this, you know five, six, seven nominated film at the Oscars were 50-50 at best if you looked around the the landscape right now. It needed a big showing somewhere. I don't know that a single nomination at the one of the guilds, one of the major guilds, is going to be enough to kind of make up for the lack of momentum, especially considering what wasn't eligible in this category right. uh, for the WGAs. But you can't say that being nominated here because of the crossover, because that statistic does exist in the history and the precedent that the WGA sets. You can't say it's a bad thing for its Oscars chances. The four finger leg lock. What that can't be right. Well, what was uh, the sharpshooter? I know is a move. Yes, in wrestling, the figure four is what you're figure is, four yeah. leg lock. Remember the figure four <laughs> and the sharpshooter. I remember those two. But we're gonna put your you guys in that soon yeah. with these stats. But all right, yeah. Let, let's get let's be honest and talk about uh, these nominations on March fifteenth when they do happen. Because yeah, Sorkin's gonna be there. Promising mm-hmm. young woman, Chicago Seven. This, both, these are the Oscars nom you're talking. Right, about. they both yes. got uh, Glo- Golden Globe nominations, and. Look, I mean, if you count the crossover of W uh, of Golden Globe to Oscars, uh, and, and I, nobody would have ever, has ever gotten this stat wrong, by the way, or, or ever should. <laughs> I mean, it'd be unforgivable if it ever did. But out of uh-huh. the last fifty years, and I think it was fifty noms. I just it stepped all over myself. You got it wrong twice. And just spit up like a little baby <laughs> on myself. <laughs> Or just everybody sees me uh, anyway with my stupid haircut that I'm about to talk about later. All right, huge crossover: Golden Globes, two original screenplay and adapted screenplay. Obviously, because it's five to ten, but it's an eighty-five percent crossover. The last yeah. 50. So if you make the Golden Globe screenplay category, you're likely to be an Oscar nominee. You're likely. So Promising Young Woman and Chicago Seven, both in this category, look to be stronger now. Other than these debuts being factored in. And we're very happy about Judas. We're very happy about Palm Springs and mm-hmm. Sound of Metal that we're going to re- revisit at the end of this episode. However, Mank, Minari, Soul, all three of them have 
uh, momentum right now, Michael. Make Minari and Soul are going to come back with a vengeance. Right. So Minari has seven screenplay wins already this season in terms of critics' awards and circles, uh, second only to Promising Young Woman on the critics' scoreboard. Inside Out was an Oscar nomination back in 2015 for Pete Docter, and Kemp Powers seems to be already beloved by by the WGA writers branch, uh, as he has one night in Miami. That script keeps getting nominated all over, and then of course we have the Jack Fincher. Mank is nominated at the Golden Globes, and it's also got one of the most appealing and heartwarming narratives going with it as David Fincher's paying homage to his father there. Going to be very, very tough to see the movie made about a screenplay, about a screenplay <laughs> that was an homage as a screenplay by one of the most famous American directors going today yeah. not make the screenplay category at the Oscars. I would think. How would that be possible? That yeah. would be a real thumbs down from the right. writing branch. Like They would be aggravated. They would not appreciate a meta joke as you right. and I do or a meta storyline story or a meta narrative they would really show their old foginess right I would agree by somehow not voting for an old fogey movie and it's, it goes even deeper than that because we've already talked about on this program how Mank seems to be shaping up to have some undercard nominations that are Oscars puzzle e. Yeah. that seemed to fit that whole Mank might be an awards monster. It could not. I mean, I saw someone, I forget who it was. I, I should have wrote it down, but somebody on Film Twitter yesterday said they spoke to Academy members who, who said they were underwhelmed by Mank and weren't as high on it. So who knows what to expect? I As we sit here today, based on what we know about the precedent of Mank in award shows leading up to this point, I, I still have to believe it's going to be at least a nominations monster, if not an Oscars winning monster. We've heard a lot of that same chatter heading into the last few award seasons about Roma, about the Irishman yeah. last year. Yep. It's too Good long. Point. It's got a boring second act. And look, I mean, if you disqualified Mank on the boring second act alone, the lost in act two-ness alone, I would get it at the right. end of the day. I think the highs of the screenplay are high, but this is a loaded category this year, and it's really cool to see all these debuts working on a branch that does have have some crossover with the Academy. So let's start to get into that. Let's talk about some recent history, Mike. Quentin Tarantino, he's never been ineligible uh, in, in the WGA because I guess he's not a member. Many international filmmakers and screenwriters aren't members either. Who's doing their contracts? It could be guilds overseas. It could be whatever. But the guild doesn't cover most animated films as well, as we saw with Inside Out and Toy mm -hmm. Story 3 in recent years, it being you know Oscar nominations and not WGA nominations. So that's a factor. Plus, we also have, and this could happen to Sound of Metal, I believe, uh, upcoming. We've often, often had... Whether it's Moonlight or Whiplash, we've had last-second right. category changes from adapted to original, or, or really vice versa, from original to adapted, where somebody discovers some kind of source material and they're like, nope, that counts. I don't know how that's not figured out well in advance, by the way. I mean, it's not like you don't know these movies are headed towards nominations, but anyway, there's all kinds of storylines and narratives. Just as recently as last year, did Tarantino's not being part of the WGA spur votes away from him towards Could Parasite? Be. Did Par did Parasite ride that momentum from the WGA Awards winning original screenplay there into uh, an original screenplay win at the Academy Awards, which obviously helped parlay itself into a Best Picture win, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, there's a lot at stake and a lot at there's a lot to talk about, I should say, uh, with these WGA nominations alone. But as far as the 10-year crossover, uh, really not 
high. It's 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 high. It's substantial, but maybe not as high as you would think. Thirty four of the last fifty or sixty eight percent of Oscar nominations in the original screenplay category are first nominated here at the WGA Awards in original screenplay. So that's between three and four nominations crossing over yeah. just about every year. And it's significant. It really is significant. So you can't say it doesn't mean anything. Everything's ineligible. Well, everything's often ineligible. I mean, we only had one year out of the last 10 where five out of five crossed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, yeah, and, and everything was eligible at both spots. But I, I do think there, you know, there, you have to take this this award show into consideration because all of the Academy Writers Branch members are WGA members. Well, I right. shouldn't say that because the same ineligible people are what, but you get what I'm saying. There's a big crossover in that branch. Well, that's why we study the guilds all over. I mean, that's, you know, there's a ton of crossover in pretty much every guild we talk about, every major guild. So that's that's why this stuff is worth meriting. And we, so Lord knows if anyone remembers us talking about the Director's Guild, I mean, that's pretty much a one-to-one <laughs> ratio yes. most years uh, when we get to that category, or we'll get to that guild in that category. We'll be talking about that again uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, while there's not that high of a correlation to as say what there is in the Director's Guild, you're right. I, we're talking about at least three noms every year almost that are kind of or three to four that are locked in from this point on going forward in these categories. So that's absolutely why why this stuff matters as far as precursors and shaping that puzzle in the Oscars picture goes. Let's talk about snubs, Mike, for the original screenplay at the WGA. Mm-hmm. We're going to use the latest Feinberg forecast on Hollywood Reporter for these. So we have Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. We have a five-time Critics Award winner in Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always in this category, not getting mm. in. We have the Gotham winner, the 40-year-old version, not getting in. Apples on the Rocks, uh, arguably the most polarizing film of the year in Malcolm and Marie. And then there's the international film frontrunner in Another Round. And then the second most polarizing <laughs> film of the year in Christopher Nolan's Tenet. All of those not getting in alongside our additional snubs uh, that we thought were very high and, and deserved merit this year in The King of Staten Island and French Exit, Mike. Yeah, so a lot of snubs this year because it's fierce competition. It's a really great category. I mean, De- Defy Bloods is a major contender, and you got Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. That could have just as easily been a top-tier debut that factors in and still could. I mean, it's got enough support out there, and I think it's enough people are watching it. The question is, the question is, will it happen? I mean, there's other really great debuts. Does the rewatchability factor in? You know, is that a movie that the Academy members want to revisit, like we're mm. revisiting Sound of Metal, or is it much cooler to just, you know, put on Palm Springs for the upteenth time and enjoy a movie like that? I, I don't know. I, I I would say that I am not surprised by this five for the most part. I think my five will, will be slightly different at the end of the year, but I'm also a polarized individual. I'm on one pole and everybody <laughs> else is on the other sometimes, so... Like I didn't expect my favorites to get in necessarily, but I'm I'm really happy that the WGA and hopefully what the Academy will do as well. I'm really happy that they're kind of capitalizing on an opportunity that we've been talking about throughout this award season as a major silver lining, and that's bringing in new blood, bringing mm-hmm. you know nominating new people, cool people, new films, and to have four debuts in this five is really really fun to see. Yeah, I, I'm with you and. There's that 
as much as Mank is looming uh, in this category, I, I, it's tough to say right now, I think, Trial of Chicago 7, which is looming over a lot of major awards, I think. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be the one to beat right now. I mean, I, I would be surprised if you could find odds on this category for the WGAs if that didn't have the highest odds. Uh, speaking of odds, of course, we're going to have next week our Golden Globes gambling preview and prediction show. Mm-hmm. We'll, we will get into and cite the gambling odds for that show as means of framing what's to come uh, next Sunday night, but I, am I wrong in thinking right now Trial of Chicago 7 should at least have the inside track, you'd think? Well, yeah, the path is clear, right? I mean, it gets yeah. a WGA. That's a big boost. It's got great odds right now, thanks to David Long uh, at the uh, Golden Globes coming up. I think it was 6-4 mm-hmm. to four or something like that, whatever that means, 6-4. slash four. You win it 1.5. It's a, it's a dollar and a half you get back for every dollar you bet. Okay. so I don't have a problem. It's fine. All right, but so it's there, and yeah, it was a very quick answer by you. Immediate understanding and comprehension, Michael. I think that uh, I, you know I've heard a lot for the father in the Golden Globes, HFPA. Mm-hmm. We may see a surprise there. You know, this is chasing the gold podcast. They just did a great job, uh, Academy Queens, and and the runner up, Kevin and Joey with Ryan there. Now, does the overall support in the HFPA for Promising Young Woman does that manifest? in a screenplay win because that's a showy screenplay that may not necessarily translate at the academy because it's kind of dark and fucked up but maybe the hfpa who i think we all can agree at this point they have a interesting sense of humor that could go any which direction <laughs> anyway they, they might have embraced that movie it seems like they have because they gave it four noms I, I really appreciate you putting that so delicately. That was a great job by you. Music is an abomination. It's an absolute <laughs> abomination. I am just upset. This I I was really upset to watch it, and it was like something out of uh, Tropic Thunder, Mike from Tug Speedman, that he would have done in his career. I just I was like my jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe they they did that and went for it. I just finished that movie with like just a nonstop, you know, just. My chin was like glued to my chest. I was just like really, really sad, and I just yeah. did. My head was bowed. I didn't know what to do with myself the rest of the day. It was like the double feature from hell that morning too. It was Bloodshot followed by music, and I've, I'll never be the same again. Although it would be funny if the HFPA, when they are casting their votes, all met in one <laughs> giant room and everyone was wearing a Sia wig, like some kind of Lynchian <laughs> horror movie, where they're casting their votes. But yeah, I don't know. From what you are not alone in that take on that movie, yeah. I don't know that I will. I, I know it's kind of our job here to do. I, I have no desire to see that. I don't know that I will. No, do I don't it. see I, it. I don't know it's, if I can well, do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe if she wore the Sia wig the whole movie, it wouldn't have been as offensive. <laughs> Good God. Right. Well, speaking of us being wet blankets of the film world, <laughs> so uh, we, we do have that reputation and with good reason because we have to mention the notable, as we move to adapted screenplay, ineligibles up top, as we talk about this category now, the adapted screenplay at the WGA, those nominations. Uh, the 12-time award winner of the season, Chloe Jaws Nomadland. Uh, Mike, you read things, so you are actually in the midst of getting through these, this source material. Yeah, I listened to the audiobook for Nomadland. I'll be honest, man. I, I was into some of it. I, I got lost and I was very bored. It took me like months to read. You ever do that with a book where it's, you know, I'm not talking to you, obviously. No, I was going to say, how dare you? No, uh, people out there, audience, <laughs> lovely people, have you ever done this with a book and, and you just 
I mean, I'm sure we, most of you have. By you book, just... do you mean video game? Because, yes, I can <laughs> Do you relate. ever play a video game and then not really, you're not really into it, and then you kind of put it on the shelf, but you feel obligated uh, to keep playing the video so game? So many times with the video game. There yes. you go. So <laughs> it does translate. But, yeah, No Man, it took me forever to read the book. I'm sure it's fine. I just, I'm bored. I have a So one of the instances span. where the movie is better than the book? Movie's better than a book, and I said that this writer's branch back in uh, the fall was going to have this irresistible gravity, this irresistible pull to vote for Chloe Zhao all over the place, but especially when she just invents a protagonist to this particular story, along with Frances McDormand, another irresistible have-to-vote-for-a-come-award-season-every-award-season kind of person, and they invented Fern in Nomadland, it's and then amazing. they, you know, put all these real nomads, these real people from the book as supporting characters. I just thought it really worked. We're going to revisit it, but sorry, book fans. The books is not great, but the movie's terrific. We were talking before we hit record. That is such an American movie. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that's going to be one of those things that the HFPA doesn't find itself relating to, but does better at the Oscars. So here's a question now. I know this is for next week when we do the Globe mm-hmm. show, but you know, let's tease the people. If Nomadland wins the Globe, is that a, an enormous show of strength for Nomadland because it won over that group? Or does the, the rest of the awards predicting, awards voting, Academy world say, wait a minute, what if they picked it? Do we have to pick something else? Is there something fucked up, secretly fucked up about making that selection? How can we, you know, how can we go with the HFPA? Do we have to just immediately revolt? Well, that's, it kind of goes, that's an interesting question on a couple levels, mm. because when we were talking about Promising Young Woman in the original category, I was going to think, well, if if Trial of the Chicago 7 is the front runner, if Promising Young Woman's able to pull out an upset, let's say, at the Oscars, you would think that would obviously bode poorly for Chicago 7 in terms of Best Picture, but it would almost be a signal to me that the widening academy has finally overtaken the old standard guard. Mm. Nomadland... I think appeals more to an old standard guard in the Academy, even though I think think it's still an incredibly, incredibly niche picture and a very unique wire to wire front runner. I don't think it would be wire-to-wire front-running in any other Oscars year except for this one. Because Green Book and Bo Rap won that year, and we were like saying the same thing about Green Book. But Green Book had that strange allure. And then when everybody thought Fish Sex went mainstream in our first year, pun intended... We, we, we again said the HFPA was that representative of the old guard, these old Hollywood right. critics that have just been transplanted on our shores. You know, they, they like what... And we know there's no crossover. Yeah. I mean, there's we know there's no, no crossover between the HFPA and the... And, but it doesn't but mean... there the, is the a crossover between right. the winners. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, that's... I think it would be more of a slight to Chicago 7 in some way than it would be, at least to me, because mm. I'm just so expecting right now Chicago 7 to do so well. And I I would be not upset to be proven wrong on that. Okay, that's inter- that's interesting. All right, we'll keep we'll keep put, you know putting that through our brains there for next week. So as far as uh, other things going on and not eligible here in the adapted screenplay category for the WGA's three-time critics winner, The Father, that got an ever so important eighty-five percent crossover stat by being nominated at the Golden Globes in their lone screenplay category. 
Uh, there's also the Nomcast favorite, The Life Ahead, starring Oscar Bake Sale, Master Chef herself, Sophia Loren. <laughs> Prove me wrong, people. Prove me wrong. There's an inside joke from like old three or four episodes yeah, ago. <laughs> she's old and she's Italian, and I don't know if I should be mad at you for it. It would be those things. cookies, I think. It would be the yeah. cookies yeah. that like you dip half and oh, they'd be so good. I don't I know if know I should. I, I may maybe. Italians should be flattered that you would say <laughs> such a thing. I don't know. Also, a uh, favorite of us here on MMO, which is also ineligible, uh, Pieces of Woman and something that you also, Mike, are a big fan of your foo-foo pick, Emma. <laughs> Emma's great. God, gosh darn it. It's great. I can't, I can't even swear when I talk about Emma. It just immediately leaves me, and I, I, I immediately censor myself. All right. And here I here I go with a you know f word fest. All right, look, <laughs> my favorite fossil fuck fest film of the century, Michael. How about that copy? What's it's that Ammonite. top five look like? Ammonite, Ammonite, <laughs> fossil film fest. Oh god, that movie is much better than people gave it credit for, in my opinion. I will never be mature in talking about it because those trailers were hilarious. But I mean, look. Bored people having sex instead of finding fossils will always be funny to me. I'm sorry <laughs> if you're bored and you're just brushing rock and then you need to have sex because that's so boring. I, I don't know. It just strikes me as funny, especially when you just keep cross-cutting to them being bored and looking at each other in the trailers. All right. Ammonite, much better movie than people get credit for. Go check it out. Really, and It's not funny. It's not a funny movie at all. So it's an excellent and it's uh, gotten, romantic like. Film. It's gotten pretty much no momentum. None. I mean, it came out of the gate with poor reviews. Those reviews tried to creep back up into relevancy, into like an awards push when the the film finally was released wide. And there's just been nothing about it. It's an expectations problem because Kate Winslet is like, should be in top tens and Mm. Saoirse Ronan should be in top tens. You want to say she's a top five or not? I don't know. Like, why isn't she? Makes no sense. I thought she was terrific. But, you know, again... Maybe people have similar twisted sense of humors, uh, like myself, and there you go. Yeah, uh, I will say, I don't think we did any favors for that movie either. We did not. We did not. I did not. I, I mean, it's so hypocritical, me yeah. coming back to it right now saying, actually, it's really good, and it's really serious and important, right. and I still can't talk about it seriously because I am a silly, silly sophomoric bastard. All right. The personal history of David Copperfield was also not eligible, Mike. Ammonite and David Copperfield were not were not eligible um strange as to why but i'm guessing armando iannucci is coming from across the pond and he's not involved uh in the wga even though you know i mean I, he was awarded throughout the veep run with the emmys and all that i just guess he i, I mean i guess he never joined the guild yeah well, uh, people have avoided the guild for different reasons we were talking about i remember last year uh that was a big focus of of one of our talking points going back again to that once upon a time in hollywood versus parasite argument and talking about the history of of that category uh, all yeah. right so why do we mention all these ineligible films first in adapted screenplay so the answer to that we're going to twist our brains like mike already told you there's going to be a strong crossover that we're going to go over in a minute, but there's strong candidates that are omitted from this that are going to really throw those stats into an upheaval. Yes. So, here are your nominees at the WGA for Adapted Screenplay. We have Borat Subsequent Movie Film, which is here in the adapted category because, for purposes of the WGA, all sequels are considered adapted. Yes, and this is written by Sasha Baron Cohen, seven other credited writers, Mike. This is... 
a fascinating screenwriting production story because like mid-production or early to mid-production, the pandemic hap- happens and then they rewrite it. And I almost wonder if Maria Bakalova deserves a writing credit on this thing because how mm. fast she's thinking in the moment, how she was improvising. And oh, how do you do that with, a, you know, improv movies? Like who gets screenwriting credit? And I'm a, you know, I'm a former writer who wants writers to get credit. I'm, I'm all, you know, Mr. Mankiewicz here for it. But I, I just... Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder, like, the credits got to go to Baron Cohen. It's got to go to Bakalova because they're driving these scenes, no question about it. Are you trying to seduce me, Mr. Mankiewicz? <laughs> I don't know why. I, that I don't came. think that's a line in the movie. I think so Mrs. Just... Robinson, no? All right. Oh. <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's adapted from August Wilson's play by Ruben Santiago Hudson. Uh, some pundits have said that August Wilson deserves most of the credit here, could that hurt Ma Rainey's adapted Oscars chances? I've I've heard that, and I keep thinking back to when Fences got nominated, and that's mm-hmm. August Wilson's signature play. Right. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe our hopes that Ma Rainey's going to get in and that they're going to, you know, just celebrate August Wilson and the, the fact that they're starting off with great subject matter and great source material shouldn't penalize them. They did a great job fusing it all together. George C. Wolfe deserves a lot of credit there as well. And that guy, actor, he is that guy, by the way, Ruben Santiago Hudson, <laughs> who he looks kind of like a little bit like the guy from Soul, uh, the the animated guy from Soul, actually. I don't know. I just see that the jawline. Anyway, all right. I think uh, I like that. That's the second time, by the way, you've described Ruben Santiago Hudson as a that guy actor. He's a that that when we uh, talked about the movie too. Rewatchables. He's a that guy actor, and he wrote the shit out of that screenplay. I I loved it. So hopefully, Ma Rainey. is involved here. I hope it gets this and, and the Oscar. Let's go. News of the World is here as well in the adapted category. That's adapted from Juliet Giles' novel, directed by Paul Greengrass. Uh, Luke Davies also has a credit here. Yeah, I'm currently listening to this. I'm enjoying it. I have t- way too many podcasts to listen to on a weekly basis to really get the narrative momentum going. Mike, I'm I'm at the point before Act 2. I'm like a couple hours in. I think it's only like six and a half hours, the audiobook, but I'm like two hours in. And there's a lot of Act 2 problems in the movie, I thought, News mm. of the World. So I'm wondering how the book's going to handle it. So I'll, I'll report back as we go here. I'm Jimmy Stewart from Rear Window, and you're going to be Johnny Depp from that movie that was based in a ripoff of Rear Window, where he's actually the uh, the bad guy all along. I forget the name of it, but it wasn't that good, so I'm not spoiling it. It uh, it wasn't that good. It was <laughs> Stephen King's Secret Window, right? Secret Window. There you go. Is yeah, that a lot it? of windows. Well, something that sounds that right. We'll just believe. I don't it. remember now. Yeah. Well, well, we spoiled it if it was. Whoops! <laughs> I did. I stepped on the friggin' whoopee cushion there. Sorry. One Night in Miami is here as well. Uh, that's written for stage and screen by Kemp Powers, who of course co-directed one of our favorites of the year in Soul, Mike. I'm rooting for Kim Powers this award season, Mike, not just because he's a New York Knickerbocker fan, but because he's a New York Knickerbocker fan. I think that does matter to me. No, I I love him uh, as a co-director in Seoul, like you said. I mean, we're we're rooting for him. And, and he the highs of uh, One Night in Miami, you, obviously it's a – it's a, it's a, it's a fusion between him and Regina King, what he wrote on the page, and how she directed the hell out of it, and all the mm-hmm. production values, how it works as a chamber piece, because it's not easy setting up our expectations with as much spectacle early on, going from one backstory to the other of all these you know ridiculously legendary and famous people, to then sticking us in one room and making yeah. it as electric as it is throughout the middle. I mean, yeah, I guess there's one lull in it, but I mean, how can you? I'm I'm, I'm 
I guess we're lucky that there wasn't five lows in it. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I think it should get nominated. I'm hoping it crosses over. Appropriate of, of nothing having to do with anything we're talking about. Regina King was outstanding on SNL this past week. Oh, uh, good. Hosting it. Yeah, she was very very funny. One more nom in this category, Michael. And the White Tiger, which I watched and enjoyed last night, and I think is how we say my real last name in another language. <laughs> That's funny to nobody, because except for Fair us. Enough. Yeah, that was a joke for like three people, but I laughed. <laughs> All, right. All right, good. As for the adapted screenplay crossover stat of the last ten years, thirty-four of the last fifty Oscar nominations were first nominated at the WGA. Again, that's sixty-eight percent. So between wow. three and four nominations at the WGA usually find their way into Oscars nominating again. That's not counting category switches, uh, which you mentioned already, like Moonlight, which won WGA's original and then eventually won the adapted screenplay Oscar category, Whiplash, which also did the same in 2014. And if this was Sundance Week and I was doing that stat, you would probably be right to say that I counted the same category twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's not what happened. No, this is the, from the other side. And I know that because I was checking Moonlight and checking in on Whiplash. And yeah, I mean, if you count those, then if you talk about the winners, I mean, there was five to uh, winners crossing over on the uh, original side. And now that's this is seven without yeah. Moonlight winners crossing over on the adapted side. That's 12. You add Moonlight, which won original at the WGA and won adapted at the uh, Oscars. That's 13 out of the last 20 Oscar-winning screenplays have, have crossed over between the WGA and, and the Academy here. That's 65%. That's a mm-hmm. real crossover. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So going to be something's here. I mean, there's probably three noms that'll find themselves at least uh, on the Oscar Sunday as well. Let's talk about the noms that aren't here and some costly eligible snubs in this category. Again, we'll use Scott Feinberg's Feinberg forecast as the basis to go in order. Talking about first cow, gotta be a big snub, especially after the Critics' Choice nomination. Kelly Reichert, uh, she may have needed this one to go from Critical Darling to Oscars Hopeful though, right? I think so. I think... uh... I think this hurts her. And I think, again, in a year with all these debuts popping at these precursors, Mm -hmm. you almost feel like those need momentum. Those need grassroots campaigns. Look, the critics are still behind First Cow. And I think if people watch it, they'll fall in love with with a movie like that, a story like that. But maybe, again, it's the rewatchability factor. It's the early release date. I don't know. Uh, I'm still kind of rooting for Kelly Riker because she just had this career that we both are are really fans of, even if a movie like First Cow is not up to... Uh, what was her last one, Mike, that we reviewed? Uh, leave Leaves of Grass is what I want to say. No, Leave No Trace. <laughs> leave No leave, Trace. Leave No Trace. We loved that movie uh, yes. two years ago. We reviewed Absolutely. it, and it was like this discovery. We felt really happy about it, but all right. Uh, the Midnight Sky, Let Him Go. I'm not going to talk a lot about him here. In my opinion, frustrating f- screenplay failures. I know there mm. were... You know, people thought they were going to be great movies, and I still like a lot of things about both films, and I don't mean to kick movie stars while they're down, but uh, especially with a beard like that on George Clooney, my goodness, what a beard. Anyway, his beard is like this thicker than my hair. Good for him. Anyway, I kind of hated those movies, though, Mike. <laughs> All right. Good. Good to know. Also not here. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, we think it's a good script. I think. <laughs> 
Carrie's five critic association wins on the year so far. Uh, if, well, if it's an interesting script, if nothing else, for sure. Do we have to make everybody else watch and love the script like we do? Like that's the audacity of an award season like this, where it's all indie films. A lot of them are niche. Like I mean, it's almost like musical taste. Like we like it, but mm-hmm. we're weird. And do we really expect the rest of the world to be as weird as us without right. thinking of any things? I don't know. Still, it'd be nice to see that pop up. Charlie Kaufman get a nod there uh, come Oscar Sunday, but it's got a hill to climb now. As does Shirley, which was cool to see on Feinberg's forecast. The Hulu film we reviewed it about Shirley Jackson, Elizabeth Moss, and Michael Stuhlbarg. It's been kind of overlooked all award season long. We're not happy about that. We're not, and that was a really cool movie, and that's just been forgotten, right? I mean, that movie was badass. Such a shame. Yeah, I I just I'm kind of upset that that one's totally kind of whiffed on everything mm-hmm. i don't i mean neon's done a great job in their past it's not them i just it's one of those movies that maybe you know people just are not like all right i have to rewatch this and i mean i guess we haven't either maybe we should have revisited a while ago and gotten the hype train going on it uh, ourselves but look my additional snub on this category i think is the half of it this was an indie spirit nomination which gave me some confidence in saying as much this is a cyrano de bergerac adaptation mike which is kind of you know like both of our love lives from the past pretty much <laughs> anyway yeah, fr- yeah anyway you all right watch, watch the movie you'll see <laughs> netflix uh alice Wu, the half of it check it out it's it's what it's one of my low-key favorite films of the year and one of those discoveries i reviewed it on the nomcast it's it's stuck with me though i kind of want to watch it again so those are the writers guild uh major nominations for the original screenplay and adapted screenplay category for a film we can go on to another uh major guild which released its nominations for its own awards that being the makeup and hairstyling guild award noms uh those came out alongside or a bit after the oscar shortlist for best makeup and hair came out yeah so we're gonna kind of talk about the shortlist in a different way here and uh thanks to a special friend of ours right mike who did yes. this work in a tweet matt neglia uh went through and sorted out the crossovers between what was nominated at the lovingly called muaz the makeup and hairstyling <laughs> guild award uh as well as appeared on the oscar shortlist so of the five categories of nominations at the makeup and hairstyling guilds the movies that are on the oscar shortlist with a nom at the makeup and hairstyling guild nom are birds of prey hillbilly elegy jingle jangle ma rainey's black bottom mank and pinocchio mike mm-hmm. hillbilly elegy has three mua noms <laughs> A lot of your pronunciations, I'm just going to say. All right, look, Academy, Acting Branch, I have another speech for you about Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, ye mighty makeup and hairstylist guild members, you have it in your power to avoid, uh, avoid hurting somebody special to both of us, Michael. You can save yourselves a lot of anxiety as well in this process if you do not nominate hillbilly elegy in this Mm -hmm. category of makeup and hairstyling just because Meemaw's hairdo has probably (laughs) been worn by most of us during this pandemic at one time or another Uh that does not mean you have to nominate that frizzy nonsense for actual awards just because her body type is probably shared by many of us including myself doesn't mean you have to nominate it 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 is greenwich glenn 
is transforming into a good Terminator. I get it. It's a huge T-shirt. <laughs> the T-shirt is large. The hair is big. I realize her performance is still good. I'll say it again. That is a godless movie. <laughs> Nobody should watch it. You cannot give her this particular Oscar. It would almost be trolling her to give her this particular Oscar. And if, Makeup and Hairstylist Guild, if you refuse to give this nomination up, <laughs> even after the three, three muas, I've never been so invested in the muas, the three muas that you gave it. If you refuse to give Hillbilly Elegy that Oscar nomination, that would mean so much for all the pundits, for everybody's expectations going into these Oscars that even if Glenn Close was nominated, we could rest assured that she probably won't win because there's no other nomination along with her. And usually that spells doom for a single acting nomination with no other Oscar noms on the night. Usually. At least we can go in as pundits thinking as much and maybe we'll be surprised at the end of it. Look, (laughs) thesis statement of this entire episode, please do not meme do Halmoni, Ya Jung Yoon. Do Halmoni. Yes to Oma, no to Mima. Wow. Yes wow. to Oma, no to Mima. I looked up some Korean words and uh, blow kisses to all of you. No Mima, please. What, what a poet. I have issues. That was a uh, that was a beautiful job by you. And no, it wasn't. But well, thank you for. Well, saying here's so, yeah. here's the problem: is what's what's definitely gonna beat Hillbilly Elegy in this category right now? Oh, it is a juggernaut of <laughs> epic proportions. It's the T one thousand right now. It's got three nominations at the Muaz. It's, it's got one big T shirt and a frizzy hairdo, and then Amy Adams like just. What's that profile pic of that twit Amram where she just goes back and shows her double chin? That's like, you know, her face the whole movie. Right. And that's Glenn not Close, makeup. That's just, you know. Well, Glenn chin. Close is adorable in on her Instagram playing in her fat suit and like jiggling it around and stuff. And maybe people are seeing that. And I just I don't I do oh, not God understand any anything to do with this. But I think we're going to live in a world where Hillbilly Elegy is a two time Oscar winner. And a two-time that's... Oscar winner? Well, well, I hope it's not a winner, but I'm guessing it's a two-time Oscar. What's gonna nom. up? Nothing's gonna stop Glenn Close, and what's gonna upset it in this category? Uh, Ma Rainey. It's it's still Ma Rainey, I think. I hope so. All right. Mm-hmm. So movies that appear on the Oscar shortlist that didn't get a Mua Guild nomination. Those would be Emma, The Glorious, The Little Things, and One Night in Miami. All right, so Emma, I'm wondering if that's a eligibility issue because again, it's coming from across the pond. Uh, nobody with Meemaw hairdo like mine <laughs> would be able to confirm this or should be able to confirm this, <laughs> and I didn't confirm this. And here's look at I looked, I looked at a bunch of places, and nobody at the trades confirmed this either. So I don't know why they were ineligible. But the Glorias, which is I don't two and a half hours, Mike on Amazon Prime. That's one of the few outstanding movies that I haven't checked out this year. I watched Mrs. America. Do I? Do I? I mean, I, look, I, I thought that was. Excellent. Do I have to watch the Glorias as well? I don't know. It might be like a what was that Bob Dylan biopic? I, th- I think there's something like that going on with Gloria Steinem. So maybe it's cool. But two and a half hours? It's a lot. <laughs> the little things. Why? Why is the little things in the short list again? I mean, is everything prosthetic on Jared Leto? Is that why? It's a great. Uh, maybe maybe his car man, his mechanic suit was painted on. 
I don't get it. Like, you could put a pillow in a belly and not give it a, a trophy <laughs> to the person who put the pillow in Apparently the belly. Apparently not. Apparently I guess, not. I guess you have to. I mean, like, it's great work. I get it. It's great. Act- it's fun acting, let's just say, in a big, you know, throwback movie like that. Uh, One Night in Miami, I'm a little surprised didn't show up here. To uh, You know, we, we talked about the makeup and hairstyling and how, you know, period specific that was. And, you know, again, the prosthetic actually being front and center on Leslie Odom. Sam Cooke's nose is not Leslie Odom's nose there. So that worked. I don't know. Yes. What was it? Say it one more time. No, me, ma. Yes, Oma. Yes, Oma. <laughs> outstanding. Just outstanding. All right. Put it on uh, a poster. Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> so that's what's going on with both the Writers Guild and the Makeup and Hairstyling Guild as far as their own award shows. Uh, we could start wrapping up with the last segment here. We're going to revisit Sound of Metal, which is something we uh, reviewed. What, what was this? What film festival was this a part of? I don't even remember, Michael. So this was AFI, and we watched both Minari and sound of metal we were just going to do like a minari review and then we had to watch sound of metal too and had to talk about sound of metal as well because it was gaining so much momentum at the time in the fall like it Mm -hmm. really had a splash debut during those fall film festivals and people were raving about it so we ended up doing like 20 minutes on each and an oscar Mm -hmm. race checkpoint way back so this is a worthy revisit we're going to revisit minari as well but i'm excited about this sound of metal is on amazon prime right now co-written and directed by darius martyr the other screenwriter is abraham martyr who also wrote the shortlisted original song stars riz ahmed you may know him from the night of nightcrawler and venom olivia cook from thoroughbreds and ready player one paul rocky has been acting since 1987 i've heard racy rocky we're I looked it up everywhere. Again, I can't find what's ineligible at the Makeup and Hairstylist Guild. Nobody knows. And nobody goes on the record that I could find. I mean, I'm clicking in YouTube videos. How do you pronounce the man's name? Is it Racy? Is it Rocky? Is it Rachi? Is it is it Italian? I, I love this man. What a beautiful man. We got to learn to pronounce his effing name. What, what a great actor. And so does Hollywood, as he's only had 14 named characters, at least on his CV <laughs> on IMDb thus far. Mm. Lauren Ridloff, who plays the teacher in the movie, she's known from The Walking Dead. And Matthew Almerich from Quantum of Solace and A Christmas Tale also stars. Okay, so we're going to enjoy this revisit movie review segment today. I think we're going to do most of it non-spoilers and like finish up with a quick spoiler, and we'll we'll do it after we do kind of an outro. Mm-hmm. We're going to split the outro, split the baby here. But cle- clearly there's like a stock up, stock down kind of emphasis on this segment, I, I think, Mike. And we're going to kind of go through the critics and resumes and, and, and the scores here and kind of talk about how we view the movie and, and whether or not its profile has been raised in you know, our estimation. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's important. It's There is going to be a change, at least from my end. I, I'm, I'm not sure we didn't really talk about how we both feel about it, but I, I, I definitely think the rewatch was merited and it's been put to good use because there's going to be things that I did pick up on that uh, I, I didn't comment on or I was, feel like I'm wrong about the first time through. Uh, cool. Its reception has been super strong regardless. It carries a 96 tomato score right now on 220 critic reviews, a mm. 91 audience score on over 1,000 qualified audience reviews, whatever that means anymore. <laughs> as far as Rotten Tomatoes audience scores go. The numbers are good. It's 7.8 on 32,000 plus IMDb scores. That is That's extremely high. That's very good. And as you said, the Metascore was what? Metascore is an 81 
uh, right now. So very, very high numbers all across the board. As far as its best picture resume, Sound of Metal is now an NBR and AFI top 10 award winner, meaning it's both those bodies' top 10 films of 2020. It's a Critics' Choice Best Picture nominee and a Best First Feature nom at the Indie Spirits. Yeah, and Darius Martyr has gotten a bunch of breakthrough director nominations, but as we said, there's a lot of competition this year with directorial debuts, as we saw with that WGA screenplay nomination, but he did get a breakthrough director award with the greater New York uh, critics body there. And he, uh, he, you know, they got a critics choice screenplay nomination as well. So it's shown up lately. It's got momentum. All right, Mike. So overall, you know, how did this revisit go for you? You kind of teased it. You liked it more this time. Yeah, I really did. I'm not, I can't exactly put my finger on why. Maybe it's because I knew what was coming and when anytime that happens, anytime you watch a movie for the second, third, whatever time after the first time, your perspective changes, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you know what to expect. You know what's coming. You try to analyze how, what leads to that point, how, how it made the people feel in the moment. So I really did enjoy it more. I found myself much more emotionally invested uh, the second time through or the second and a half time through, whatever this was for me, and watching this. Uh, I don't think that's a shortcoming of the first time I watched it. I think that was a me problem, but I was much more drawn into it this time around. I, I think the pull of the story is very, very there. I mean, it's it's got narrative momentum, and you're right. Like, I was invested in the rewatch. I was... I was kind of foolish, though, in how I rewatched it. Me and Kemp Powers, we had to pause whatever we were doing and watch the Knicks last night <laughs> because they're almost at 500. I was wearing right. a hat all day. I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm kind of crazed right now. I'm a big Knicks fan. A lot of those likes on the Twitter account. Kempy, as you call him on a personal me and, basis. Me and right. Kempy. Yeah, yeah right. KP. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, sure. KP, because <laughs> I'm trying to get that other KP out of my head. Anyway, right. Mike, I watched like the first hour and 10, and then I finished watching it after the Knicks lost. Mm-hmm. which is probably dumb. So did that sour you? It soured me a little bit. Here's the thing. Like, I recognize that the movie has this gravity, that I'm into it, and I recognize how well made it is. We're going to talk about a lot of the factors in this uh, in this story, but I don't, I don't really come away raising its score necessarily. I had a B plus 88, 87, 88, mm-hmm. and I've kind of settled on that 88 in my rankings this year, and that's a top tier just about maybe just below top tier for me this year uh in terms of my rankings i got i got you know maybe 15 88s yeah i'm i'm in the same ballpark i think i went from like a b minus to a hard b i think i'm up to an 85 solid b now what is that you know am i buying anything with its best picture am i buying anything with its best director chances like screenplay too i don't know i I think screenplay of those three is the, the 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 most appealing to me really that's it well that's fascinating because obviously it's got the late momentum there but i think i think that's fairly new i would say mm-hmm. i think i think that category has been so loaded with big names that few pundits and, and some have don't get me wrong but few pundits have had sound of metal in its original screenplay top five they kind of figured it would get more credit elsewhere but it actually makes good sense it makes better sense that the debut nomination uh, at least one of those nominations will be in the screenplay category. That, mm-hmm. that, that, we're going to have to keep an eye out for that. I don't necessarily know if Sound of Metal gets an original screenplay not at the Oscars. Does that mean it's going to have like this overwhelmingly boosted chances uh, for other awards at you know at that award show? I, probably not. That that's more typical, I would say. Right? What yeah, think? I, I I think 
I think so. You're basically saying that if it, it screenplay isn't something that should be expected from this movie, and if it does, that means it's a stronger contender for best picture. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that it actually the opposite. I'm saying that that should be expected for a debut like this, and for you know the brothers as opposed. Screenplay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, based yeah. it on their regular li- their real lives. It's semi autobiographical. They knocked it out of the park. Their composition nod that the Academy gives them being in the screenplay category would be more historical than let's say director picture all across the production values. Like that's that's unusual if it gets much more. I mean, the fact that Riz Ahmed seems to be a juggernaut, we're going to go in him, uh, into him in this uh, ensemble in a minute, but the fact that he seems to be you know, gaining so much momentum is not necessarily the norm for movies like this. I think in this particular year, a movie like that is benefiting from a stranger field and an academy that's more willing to watch indie films or smaller films, even though, you know, again, this is found a spot on Amazon Prime, which is not really an indie outlet necessarily. Right. But I do think I do think these composition nods, the fact that they got momentum in each one of the three makes it very it make this a conversation that's very necessary about Sound of Metal. And yet I mean, as unique as Riz gaining momentum for a movie like this is, he is, I mean, he's going to be nominated for Best Actor, right? He's there's three n- for three. There's no way. Right. Yeah, there's so, no way he avoids it at the Academy. I mean, at least it would be a, a great shock if he was. I, He's great in this. I I was wrong when, I, when we first reviewed this about saying how this is a resume builder for him. Mm-hmm. I still, though, don't think that it's a slam dunk, no doubt, nominated performance. Well, we've seen movies of this, let's just say, size, right? We've seen them kind of fall by the wayside, not to have anything else in my brain to say. I reverted to your most quoted <laughs> line you. from a song from a movie. Mm-hmm. All right, but look, I mean, Riz Ahmed has got the critics on his side at this point. He's winning the critics' uh, scoreboard, and he's winning by a lot. He's got 16 wins on the season. He's won the Gotham, NBR, Satellite. He's got Globe, SAG, Spirit, and Choice noms. Like, if anything, we should be now lasering in on Olivia Cook, who plays uh, Lou Louise in this movie. We should be lasering in on Paul Racy, who's also leading the supporting actor scoreboard with 15 wins, including the MBR and Choice and Spirit noms on his resume. So they are building strong-ass resumes. Now, what does that mean? Ethan Hawke won it years ago. Tony right. Collette, Lupita Nyong'o. We've seen movies right. that are embraced by the critics not even come close. Well, who knows if they came close. Release the votes, please. But we, <laughs> we, don't, we don't see them at the Oscars. Right. So what does that mean? Yeah. Everything and nothing, right? Like, everything does at this point. I mean, Riz Ahmed is probably undeniable, like we said. Uh, well, he's just more established in the sense that he's gone on the Emmys train before, and he's and he's you know from Nightcrawler. He's I mean he's been well, he's in definitely Oscar the biggest vehicles. name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without without question, he's definitely the most awards known name. But and this is another thing I said the first time around. I think Olivia Cook for me is the standout of this movie, and I, I'm a little bewildered how she doesn't have any momentum. Maybe it just is because she's not as well known a name. But I really think her performance in this is fantastic and i don't understand with supporting actress being as i guess we could say wide open but i really want to say ludicrous as it is (laughs) (laughs) or as it has become this year uh i don't understand how she has merited essentially no consideration by major bodies well you and scott feinberg both i mean he has been 
he's been stubborn in the fact that he leaves her in that five and ten all season long, even though she hasn't really done more than a Hollywood Film Critics Society award there. Right. Which, you know, knowing Scott, maybe, maybe, is he like the head of that? (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny. It would make some sense. But you're right. Riz seems to have the most momentum because of the precursor nods. Racy obviously is next. And I'm hoping, but it looks like that's a star category with a lot of big names. Mm -hmm. And it definitely seems like supporting actress just went weird this year with uh, movies that are 29 percenters and. I don't know. I just uh, I, again. I just I keep calling. Look, I keep getting mad at that category because my beloved Glenn Close is going to win for the the weirdest. It's it's such a bizarre feeling, isn't it? Like we're going to be happy right. for Glenn Close, but we, my God, that movie. Okay. The other nominations I like in that category. I right. genuinely do. Right. I force you to do an entire OSP for Maria Bakalova alone. Right. Well, Amanda Seyfried's from my alma mater. I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, Yajun Young. Well, that's the, that's the aggravating part Jesus. is that there's there's worthy nominees. There's worthy no, winners. I, I have to just direct my anger properly. It's not against the supporting actress category. <laughs> it's against the character of Meemaw, full stop. It's against Hillbilly Elegy. I have really – I really do have yeah, issues with it's that movie. Yeah, to, it's tough to argue with, with you on that. But, I mean, look, if, if Hillbilly Elegy wasn't Hillbilly Elegy, if that spot was open, do you think – would we be talking about maybe this being a two-acting – Never mind, maybe a three acting if Paul Racy was in there too, but a two acting nominated movie with Riz Ahmed and now Olivia Cook. Well, it's yeah, well, that's the big question. Does yeah. does this movie continue to gain in momentum? Is just something that makes you want to revisit it? Is it something that has that gravitational pull? And in a year where directorial debuts aren't necessarily sidelined, is this just going to keep creeping with additional nominations? Because look at the undercard. I mean, yeah. we just said screenplays is on the rise. Picture is very possible. It's going to win sound. We see best sound with two wins. It has and to. The recent Satellite Award. Original song got shortlisted. A show of strength. Abraham Martyrs, a co-writer, he wrote the original song Green. And ed- Editing Mike came through yeah. with a Critics' Choice knob. So this movie has momentum. It really does have momentum. It's worth talking about. I think sound has to be a slam dunk, doesn't it? I mean, l- literal sound, both yeah. the presence and lack thereof, it's its own character in this movie. And if you go by the, yes. the punditry, Gold Derby right now, 27 of 28 experts on Gold Derby have this movie, have Sound of Metal as its number one in the best sound category. The lone holdout is Clayton Davis of Variety, who has it at number two. I, I don't. I mean, there's no other movie this year in which sound. Maybe Tenet. I haven't seen it yet. You would know better than I do because of what Christopher Nolan does with sound every time he makes a movie. But mm-hmm. I have not seen a movie this year where sound has been as important and as utilized in its plot as it was in this movie. I still want you to uh, brush your teeth, or what did I say? Scratch your scratch your itch in your cast to <laughs> yes. the Tenet soundtrack. Yes. And I, yeah, I mean, if the sound effects were also available, like just watch Tenant and scratch yourself. Can you do that for me? <laughs> Enjoy it. Oh man, what do we name this episode? Do we name it "Watch Tenant and Scratch Yourself" or do we name it "No Me Ma"? <laughs> yes, I forget the word. Oh ma, what oh, the ma. hell is wrong with me, Mike? I got a little bit of a pushback on best sound, but it, it might be a me problem. I would agree with you that it's very important. However, I think it's. I think it's important to break here. We want to have a a small spoilers discussion 
Uh, but let, let's tell the people, you know, where we're from. Let's do the outro here for a second. Yeah, so we're going to go into a, a, a small spoilers section after this. But if you want to reach out to us, we love hearing from you about anything we have said here in this episode or anything we do here at the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would give us a five star review if you like what we do here it would take about 10 seconds out of your day and really truly make our entire day so spoilers ahead you've heard that before let's talk about it now michael let's do a quick spoiler roundup here for sound of metal all right so best sound you're all over it as a win and 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 i get it i mean it's so important but as privileged and blessed individuals we we do have our hearing I am particularly sensitive to loud noises and and loud noises in movies, and the rewatch of this movie, Mike, was really tough on my ears. Maybe it was just loud. It I was just it was tough. Maybe that's well, the music. Idea. The music their band plays is not for me. I'll tell you that. No, like the music hurt me at yeah. the opening scene. I'm just old now. That's like, exactly that what it is. Me. That's what I was gonna say. We're just I wanted old, to man. cry. I wanted to lower the the volume all the way, but I was like making myself as like a sadistic thing. I was just going through. I was like, yeah, give him you, give me more. It's terrible. And I was just. And then then they argue and look. Uh, say what you want about Malcolm and Marie, but they structure those arguments. If anything, he overwrites those arguments. And these arguments, they're, you know, these people are just saying horrible, scary things to each other, and they're kind of on the nose, and they're really sad just brutally sad i mean he's i mean i'm not gonna go through what ruben says again i guess you know i I made you say spoilers ahead to do that but oh the humanity i mean i might prefer i might prefer the screaming you know malcolm and marie i might prefer the screaming kids in uh of Honeyland. Mm. I don't I can't believe I'm saying that, wow. but like the audio nightmare of this. I mean, it really is an audio nightmare. So it's almost like a horror movie in that way because this is so real. Again, this is a me problem. This is a privilege problem. Well, that's for what me, I was but... going not not even that it's a privilege problem, but doesn't that kind of underscore just how important sound is throughout? Never mind the whole, you Definitely. know, the, the deaf storyline obviously, but I think there's an emphasis put on the, the being able to hear your loved one yelling at you and being able to do what you love, which in this case is being a drummer in music and I mean, we have a protagonist here who's an addict, which is not real. It's it's maybe a D, D E or F storyline, right? It's it's his backstory essentially. It's exposition throughout. It's an, it's important. It's a huge factor even four years later for him in this particular instance. And I'll, I'll repeat what I said when I reviewed this movie back in the fall. From what I know and from the experience I have uh, on the fringe of you know being someone who who knows. Uh, addicts and uh, and who who's very grateful to have uh, people in his life that are in recovery. I'm mm-hmm. I'm extremely grateful, and seeing a lot of this stuff brought a lot of that back. And this movie got it right in many ways. It felt it felt real, and maybe that's maybe it was just one of those things where, like you said, nerve endings. You, I mean, you've said this with other movies for you for your own life. It hit nerve endings. Yeah. Well, the rewatch well, for me today. Yeah. I was sensitive. That's what Malcolm and that's the thing I held. I just personal. It was a me problem against Malcolm and Marie. Um, I I will go with you insofar as I think the emotional moments of gravitas in this, whether they were the couples, the couple yelling at each other, whether they were the fights, 
some of them were very hit or miss for me. I found right. myself really enthralled in some and just completely bored by others. I think that's why I have it as a B most of all, as a matter of fact, is because I, this movie did, even it, just like it did the first time, it lost me at a couple points where I was just like, I found myself looking at my phone, looking at my computer. It's well, a tough is that sell. The kid, yeah, I mean, is that the kid at the fireworks, though? Are we? Because I did this. I do the same thing at movies that make me uncomfortable. Do I, especially when I'm home watching movies, right? So is that is that like the kid? I mean, that's the whole thing. That didn't Kate talk about that? Ignorance was bliss. Talk about the kid at the fireworks. They'll go to sleep, right? We we did a yeah. you know, guest spot on uh, ignorance was bliss. Great podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you matter out there and. Hell, I, I thought she, you know, hit the nail on the head for a lot of us with some kind of, you know, with our sensitivities to movies where, yeah, we turn off a little bit. And I, you know, I think I turned off a little bit on the rewatch. I wonder if that has effect effects on the Academy voters as well. But I, I think uh, I think you're you're on to something there. And a lot of this movie is in quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, you know, for as many moments as there are loud and blaring and there's a lot going on, there's a lot of living through Riz Ahmed's character and living through people at the the camp and that commune's characters where it's a lot of the sound isn't off. You could hear the background, you could hear birds chirping and all that, but there's nobody is speaking, nobody is saying anything. Uh, if you're not paying attention, I think it's easy. If you're you know not enthralled by the plot or what's going on, you could get turned off to that too. Uh, I also want to say, I think this plot's very formulaic. Mm-hmm. And that could be a good or a bad thing. I mean, it's. Well, I think it's, it's a good thing with with an academy branch. I mean, right. they, they love when conventions are are done the way they want them to be done. Right. I mean, all these people are educated in the business, and this is the industry, the best of the best of the industry, voting on these awards. So when you, yeah, when you knock conventions out of the park, especially with an indie film, a debut like this, yeah, that's. I think I think it that works in its favor. And when you are formulaic, you have to be interesting enough to keep. The, the viewer watching, right? Like Give me you the same do... but different, right? Right, same exactly. But different. Do... Give me the same beats exactly. every movie, but do it in a cool new way. Exactly, exactly. And I think this does that. I mean, the, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, it lost me at some points, but that, that interesting twist of the grass isn't always greener when he does get the cochlear implant, even yeah. though I think it's ridiculous that he would be that shocked that that's what his hearing is after getting the implant because a doctor would have overprepared him for that. But regardless of that, I'm worried you mispronounced that today as well. But <laughs> <laughs> the old cochlear implant um, that I thought was a good enough twist on the same but different kind of thing I was hoping to get from this. Uh, so in a lot of ways, my rewatch here drew me in. Mm-hmm. I still got lost in some moments that I got lost at originally. I'm going to stand by those. But I think this is a solid be-all-day movie. Is that enough to make it a best picture contender? Maybe not in my rankings, but I at least understand better than I did the first time we watched this through, why it is there. Well, that's cool. So it was a worthwhile yeah, revisit uh, overall. I do want to hone in on Paul Ra- Racy, Rocky. Again, I'm sorry. Rachi. Rachi. <laughs> I'm just going to say it the Italian way, and then I'll just – I'll have to be right because who can argue with then? Look, all right, I loved this performance. Yeah, you're higher on it than I am for sure. Yeah. So much on rewatch. Like, not that I've been in his seat necessarily, but I've had to be in a seat where I'm walking on eggshells around somebody who's yeah. potentially unstable in that moment. And I, I just – like, I've talked about it a million times on the show, the – I have to come up with a new way to phrase it, but the cracking of the veneer performance, right? The veneer is like this 
glossed over painting, right? And it's got An this old, like old extra shell ship. Yes. Right. Yeah. A veneer on a ship. I don't know if that works necessarily, but <laughs> I guess you know a, a, a Maybe I should say like this: the deck. What is a, what? Are, what do you put on a deck? Um, what's that word? Varnish. Varnish. Yeah. The the deck varnish performance from Paul <laughs> Racy Rocky Riarachi. Oh, good God. I hope. Got lost hope down this rabbit hole listening. real quick. I hope everybody's listening right now to this magnifique <laughs> outro of the episode here from these two ba- just babbling film critics. Guys, his performance. I, I mean, he is per- he's purposely frozen in that moment because he's he knows the instability of the man sitting across from him there. And you could just see these subtle, slight gestures of him swallowing really hard. He understands his every movement is being, is being dissected by the big eyes staring across from him. He said it early in the film. He's like, you reminded me of an owl. And we see Riz Ahmed's big eyes staring mm-hmm. back at him. We know that he's ready to bite at anything he doesn't like that, that this man says. But the, at the same time, he has to be firm for his community. And he doesn't necessarily realize that you know, uh, Ruben's character is clean, but is still having lied to him. There was that broken trust. And the fact that the fact that he delivers the moral of the story, right? That Riz Ahmed is not going to learn until the end of the film, the literally Mm -hmm. last scene of the film. And I find that, that beautiful silence Mm -hmm. in a way until the, the very end there, the fact that he's delivering that. And then once, Riz Ahmed leaves once Ruben leaves there's this just release from Paul Racy where he's just you know he's like he's like holding back a sob and he really is upset and I just you know I I don't know I guess I related to that so much and I just I thought it was a brilliant performance he said that and he's he's been doing theater for 35 years and he's been in these bit parts and these extra extra roles and these tiny teeny tiny film roles and he's been doing a theater for deaf people in hollywood for years paul rachi he's lived the life of the coda coda movie where his parents were deaf and they basically used him as the hearing individual in the family to communicate with the outside world like if you see when you see when you guys see the movie uh coda that's that was his that was paul's upbringing and he's told it in many ways throughout his uh throughout his interview process here in his campaign so it's just a fascinating backstory that he was perfect for this part and the martyrs knew it and in all of his interviews he's like hey i was perfect for this part because i knew i knew exactly how to play it i just thought he knocked out you know, knock that scene out of the park by doing so little. And it yeah. was Leslie Manville like for me. I just thought like this was this is next level acting right here. For him to, to, to have a career like he's had pay off with a performance like that. I just I wanna give him all the awards and I'm I'm for the first time in a while. I'm so proud of these dorky film critics. <laughs> I'm so proud to be a part of you, even though I do not have the uh, linguistic powers that you do yet, certainly on the page, definitely not on a podcast, as I've proven in this particular episode. (laughs) Well, you certainly paint the picture of a guy that's incredibly impossible to root against. I mean, who could not want that story to play itself out with an Oscars nomination? Beautiful. Yeah. So I just, I, I I think that scene did it for me, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, in a year... 
where there's a few special moments for the supporting actor category. The Daniel Kaluuya speech, the Leslie Odom final song. Mm-hmm. That moment, like th- those are something that that's something special. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Abby Hoffman, he's got a moment there. I, I would still say, whatever. I, I mean, I'm, I love Sasha Baron Cohen. Fine. I still want the special performances awarded. I think that's what it's about, right? And it, th- this to me was was next level and special. You got me rooting for him. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't see. I mean, your relatability is obviously subjective and if if you find something that speaks to you that means more than anything i think in film and that's that's beautiful that that happened yeah you you're making me rethink about what i thought though because i knew coming in you were higher on him than i was but now i can uh see absolutely what you're saying and how it played out within his part so uh you're not alone is the only thing i can say i've seen a ton of people on film twitter a ton of critics as well kind of being miffed at at best and outraged taken up a level as to why Paul Racy or Paul Rocky again apologies if we mispronounce his name hasn't gotten a lot of consideration uh, and I would say the same I, I know I already made this point but I would I would go back and say the same for Olivia Cook. I think this movie is just very very well acted all throughout yeah that's that's for sure and uh, congratulations to everybody who made it so that that it's it's really it's a really cool success story no doubt about it Mike but uh, yeah I mean second outro you ready yeah so go on with your words of pretentious <laughs> wisdom now that you got me feeling bad about feeling being down on a performance with a guy that's given so much go ahead put a little cherry on top of this shit Sunday for me now give us some words of wisdom that we can go out on here sir what's coming next from MMO my words of pretension. <laughs> Uh, take them as you will. I've already said a lot of words in this episode that were clunky and silly, but uh, don't cut your hair. How about that? Don't <laughs> cut your hair ever again. I want this mane of beautiful golden locks to uh, continue, and I probably should cut my hair because I'm like full Meemaw right now. It is. I mean, I'm looking at Glenn Close stills, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and it is uh, uncanny. It's so a Spider-Man I, meme of two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. <laughs> I need to get a haircut. But what's coming next, Michael, which I don't know if you set me up for or not, but what's coming next is a revisit of Nomadland. But sooner than that, like we said at the top of the show, the, it's Golden Globes preview special time we're going to go over the gambling predictions that's that special is coming up next week we we get into the odds and the gambling and the figures and the we do that a couple times a year and this time it is uh you know this is one of those times i guess i should say grab your wallet and grab your bucket and that's going to be the next couple episodes from MMO. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come check out these noms with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.